and welcome to yet another episode of the world's greatest boxing podcast, I Like Boxing with Joe and Joel. I'm Joseph Caulfield, joined as always by the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, the boxing scholar himself, typing furiously on his computer. Mac Air. His Mac Air. <laughs> High class, guys. Don't disrespect my, <laughs> my Mac Air, mate. It's good to see you, Joel. How are you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. How was Spain? Spain was lovely until we all got sick just towards the end of the holiday, and then it was it took a turn for the worse. Was that just because you'd 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 been eating and drinking too yeah. much, though, so Joe? Not really. Just... I mean, I think it's fair to say that everything went south. <laughs> Do you like that one? <laughs> Very good, mate. Let's hope that don't happen to the puns on today's episode. Yeah. Right. Um, at, since we were away last week, let's just jump straight into this. And of course, our episode before I went off on holiday, we previewed the Joe Joyce uh, Gilet Zhang fight. And that obviously took place just this weekend gone. And in a shocker, Gilet Zhang uh, stops Joe Joyce uh, in round six. Or doctors, or sorry, referee stoppage. A big, big shock. I don't think anyone was expecting that. But was this really a big shock, Joel? Because you were worried about this fight from the moment it was made. Yeah, this was an insane fight to make. It was pretty much the worst fight that could have been made in the heavyweight division for Joe Joyce. Could not understand why they went for it, and they did, and they paid for it badly. Mm. Worst thing that came out of this, mate, was that Joe Joyce just doesn't look like he's going to be the same again after that. It's a pretty horrific one. What a fight, though. Yeah. Why did Joe Joyce, uh, I mean, let's be honest, I think he, he basically got battered in this fight. Yeah. Why, how did this happen? This was just such a big, big shock. I think that Joe had got used to heavyweight power, but from smaller heavyweights. Yes. And his style hadn't had to adapt to taking punches. Yep. And all of a sudden he was in with someone who was a sharper puncher than him, mm. who hit like a mule, yeah. was experienced, excellent fundamentals, and could stand and trade with him and wasn't worried about what was coming back. Yeah. And this was a problem. He was in basically with a crisper, harder puncher than he'd ever met. And unless your name is Oliver McCall, mm. doesn't matter who you are, mm. if you go in with a big puncher and you get hit, you're going to get hurt. And that's what happened Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was interesting because I, I saw a lot of the uh, ringside pundits afterwards saying, you know, if Joe Joyce hadn't got that uh, terrible eye injury, no. then he, you know, he probably would have gone on to win because that's what he does. He's the juggernaut. He'll just wear you down. That might Obviously, the, it's a ridiculous uh, concept because if you get hit so cleanly that your eye swells completely shut by round six, you you've basically been absolutely battered. Well, I think if also, the referee can't, if you, your damage is too bad for the referee to allow it to continue, that's your fault. You've been totally outclassed. Oh no, he's he lost because of the punches landed. This wasn't an errant elbow or a headbutt or anything like that. Mm. He got he got beat up. It was punches landing on his face. But I think the the problem with the argument that you just made there for for others is that Joe was getting hurt regularly in the fight from the first round. Yeah. You know, it's not as though he took a couple of punches and his eye swelled up. Yeah. He took some punches and his, his knees went. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, that, and that, that's what happened. And that was happening repeatedly throughout the fight. I thought he might get stopped in that first round, you know, yeah. straight away. He was, oh, really? he was all over the shop. Yeah, about halfway through the first round, um, Zhang just opened up for the first time, about a three-punch combination. And Joe was just in all sorts of problems. He didn't, it's like he didn't recover from that. He stayed hurt. Second round, he really did nearly go yeah. down yeah. and really did did get stopped and it, it it didn't really get that much better even when he came into the fight a little bit as it wore on Zhang looked like he was just containing himself within himself he was resting this was a terrible performance right yeah it was it was shocking I think as well it's uh this is what I saw in Joe Joyce years ago I was sort of thinking this is going to happen because he's so slow and plodding he's got l- such little lateral head movement Surely there's a decent enough heavyweight out there to take advantage of it. And then it never happened. And then I really, I, I'm not saying, I think he's still a very, very good heavyweight. But I did start to buy into this sort of juggernaut hype that this guy was sort of, in the, you know, basically like indestructible. And it didn't really matter. But actually, when you break it down, you've got to be a good boxer. And if you keep, and if you can't avoid punches, hard punches, this is what happens. And it actually, when we look at a lot of his fights, this has happened in a lot of the early rounds in Joe Joyce fights. But unlike this fight, he was never hit hard enough for it to, you know, damage and hurt him. Mm. Um, but, you know, like you say, that we're in the land of the giant heavyweights. He's taking on the giants now. If he wants to get to the top, it's, you know. I mean, you didn't even get past Zhang, but you're looking at Wilder and Fury. Well, These are giant men. I know, but the, the funny thing is, is that I think the pre-Zhang Joyce, my opinion doesn't really change, mate. I think that he would have caused those guys problems. I think that Wilder, mate, is too slow. I think mm. Joyce would see those punches coming like he did against Dubois. Yeah. He could see that coming and get out of the way. Yeah. He didn't take anything. I think actually he would he, he would be matched similarly there with, with Wilder. Tyson Fury, he's not a, a Zhang type puncher. Mm. He, you know, cumulatively they catch up with you. Yeah. And yeah. That, I, I actually think the one that, funnily enough, looking at that performance at the weekend that were causing the most trouble would probably be Anthony Joshua, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, same as, as Zhang, he can stand, he can fight, and he's, he's a snappy puncher. Yeah. You know, he's quick with it. It's a real disappointment because Joe Joyce was more or less on the cusp of a world title fight now. Zhang, that's obviously going to not happen. He, I mean, where does he go from here? He probably is going to have to exercise the Zhang rematch and and try and 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 you know get himself back where he was. He has to. There's no other route for him. I've seen people say, "Oh, he doesn't, you know, he can, he can, he doesn't need to take it." I don't understand where they're coming from. I mean, if he wants a world title fight or something in future, he's got a rematch clause. Mm. Queensbury now promote Zhang. I assume yeah. they've got several op- options on him. They've definitely got some. Yeah, they're they're just. Um, Queensbury now are just talking of themselves as Zhang's promoter. Yeah. This, the fight just should be made. It doesn't make any sense. He's got nowhere to go. If he wants to drop down, I mean, what do you do at 37? You can't rebuild. No, I mean, he, he that's why it was so devastating for him because yeah. he was, he'd worked so hard to get himself in that position. Thing, I think He's got no time to lose. Mentally, this is going to absolutely cripple the guy. Yeah, I agree. I don't think mentally this is the sort of defeat you can come back from. No. Uh, and it will, probably was a fight he just never thought he'd lose. I don't know why, I don't know why they didn't see danger in it. Mm. It, was, it was, anyway. 
Such is, such is life, but anyway, we move on. Right, let's move on to the news section. So, uh, Lauren Price, your, one of your faves, she'll fight uh, Kirsty Bavington, whose record is seven wins, three defeats and two draws. But this is for the first ever British female title, so historical. And uh, the lovely Lauren Price shall be fighting and almost certainly winning the first female British title. Isn't that right, Joel? It is, but do you think that it is devalued a little bit by fighting somebody with a record of 7-3-2 and two for the inaugural British female British title. Well, who, who could she fight? Well, I don't know, but just don't fight. <laughs> don't make a British title fight if it isn't befitting of a British title. Is that is that not a fair enough? Well, I, I guess so. I mean, you know, I think what, what they might be doing, though, is just looking to add more layers of credibility to female boxing. And they've got to start somewhere, so... Who knows? Maybe start with someone who they see as the, you know, perhaps the future of the the sport, or someone who's got the ability to sort of be there for a long time. I don't disagree with that. I just I just disagree with who's in the opposite corner mm. for a fight like this. It doesn't yeah. doesn't yeah doesn't sit right with me. Such a sour person. I am today. It's, the, it's, <laughs> it's the Joe Joyce fight really upset me, mate. <laughs> right, Fabio Wardley. He's been ordered to defend his British heavyweight title against Fraser Clark. That was actually a fight I think I was maybe calling for a while back. You think I think Fraser Clark will have a bit too much for Wardley? I think so as well. Size will matter in in this fight. Um, that's something you've been told before, Joel. Uh... <laughs> oh, you just couldn't couldn't take it apparently. <laughs> um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on this? I mean. Yes, great fight. This is this is what this is now. This is a British title fight. This one right here. Yeah, um, yeah. This is this is what a British title is meant to be. Yeah, and Fraser would be biting a, a you know taking a, a a big challenge at this stage in his career because just because he's no. But it's same with Fabio because you look at this. I mean, Wardley's actually only had how many fights he is he in about 15, 16 fights. Not many. It's no. not many at all. No amateur background. So to fight an Olympic bronze medalist at that stage is going to be a a, a real challenge, cracking fight. This is this is a, a a brilliant mandated fight for the British British title. This one, absolutely right. Here's a story that we're we'll probably end up talking a little bit about. So, um, boxing news. I actually got my latest edition today, so I brought it with me. But they've reported that Conor Ben um, has in fact been under suspension from UCAD. I think since March, um, which has thrown his uh, planned comeback into doubt. Now there are so many layers to this story all of which make a lot of sense and i'm kind of uh, a little bit surprised a lot of this hasn't you know come to life before but from what i understand the he's obviously been suspended by ucad because ucad operate under the world anti-doping agency's world anti-doping code so that's wada so what's interesting about this story is that any person who basically facilitates a Ben comeback could face significant action because the uh, British Boxing Board of Control are, I believe, are a signatory to the World Anti-Doping Agency Code. So it poses some serious problems for Eddie Hearn because he was obviously big on getting Conor Ben out. But since he's a a license holder, he's a promoter, he's got a British Boxing Board of Control license, if he were to 
promote a fight in which Ben is basically suspended, he could have his license revoked. And that, that's anywhere in the world, not just in Britain. Yep, exactly. So it's, it's you know it's really interesting, and I mean it makes a, a lot of sense that there there would be some sort of rules here. From what I understand, though, none of the uh, san- uh, boxing governing bodies, so WBC, WBA, are signed up to this particular uh, code. So I think Matt Christie wrote in a bod to in an odd to boxing complicated and somewhat bendable relationship with doping rules. No professional boxing commission or governing body is a signatory to the world anti-doping um, uh, code. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting story, but uh, I think Matt Christie also noted in the podcast that it's gone a bit quiet from Eddie Hearn recently on Ben's comeback. So he's probably realizing the full legal implications of this. And it's it's not just those; it's the trainers and I believe sparring partners, even and stuff like that. So everyone involved could yeah. be in trouble here if well, they if they anyone associated with the, with the fight. Yeah, so obviously fighters could be. So what's interesting is that Chris Eubank Jr. Yeah. was due to uh, potentially fight uh, Conor Ben but in he's Saudi. Now, yeah, and he's obviously now decided to re- invoke the rematch clause with so, Liam Smith. So we didn't know why because he did this what about a week ago, didn't he? Or a week and a half ago, yeah. he came out because it it was. A, Apparently made pretty much this fight in in Saudi, so British boxing border control. So went, no, we're not having that. Yeah, and, and they got involved and, and they put a stop to it. What's really good from this, I think, is that we are that there is a system in place that does now seem to have thrown some sort of uh, some regulation and some common sense into the mix, but it's actually backed by you know the you know legal rules and responsibility. So if Eddie Hearn, you know, tries to do something that's dodgy he's mm. gonna fall foul of it now i think he is um, he is but I wonder why it took them so long the um, yeah you know bbbc and uk and all of that to, to do anything about this and to put this ban in place i think it was starting to do with the confidentiality rules that the wada and the other various bodies involved in it have i'm pretty sure there's a reason for it but it's all nonsense it's I mean, crazy it's stupid so what is the point of drug testing if there's confidentiality clauses but, involved yeah and the other thing as well is that i know robert smith under the existing rules can let a potential party like eddie hearn or chris eubank jr know if they're likely to fall foul of that rule given yeah. what's happened which you know there's no, I don't think Robert Smith's put on record that he's had these, but I'm sure, I mean, it's obviously information that's been made available through some sort of channel. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad to hear it. It's uh, It makes a lot of sense. What's going to happen here, though, because you've got precedent, is that you look at um, Amir Khan, in fact, uh, no, sorry, Tyson Fury, he got a two-year ban for his wild boar nonsense years ago. Connor Ben, I think, when if he does end up going through the uh, UCAD process, he'll get banned for two years. I think there's likely to be enough evidence because there always seems to be evidence that you can rely on when you mm. fail to test to say that you didn't do it knowingly. So you get the lower end, the two-year ban as opposed to a four-year ban. And if he does get that, he's you know already, I think, in, has he in theory potentially served quite a big chunk of it? Will it go from the well, date if they backdate it? Yeah. yeah. So really, is he going to get? I mean, he's obviously punished in the sense that he's not been able to fight. But you know, when it gets resolved, it could be that he's fighting quite quickly afterwards. I don't know. We'll see. Likely. Right. Let's move on to a, another story. 
a fight that takes place this weekend, which we're going to preview, Javonta Davies against Ryan Garcia. This will be available free to subscribers of DAZN in the UK. Hey, This is what you're meant to be doing, DAZN. Yes, well done. That's a good PR move. I mean, Eddie Hearn, you're not was, so bad. Well, cause back, back in the day, you know, they were saying, you know, we'll be showing these all these pay-per-view fights just part of your subscription. We've not been seeing any of them. Yeah. And so, yeah. okay, this is one. We've the got well that. ran dry for a bit. That'll do. <laughs> Right, uh, you're going to talk about this one, Joel, because former European lightweight champion Kerman Leharaja, is that how you say it, Leharaja? Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, He's retired from the sport at the age of 31. I think you were a big fan of him. Um, He's a fantastic brawler, basically, from Bilbao in in Spain. Gave us some wicked nights over the last few years, mate. Um, He beat Bradley Skeet um, over over there, Frankie Gavin, um, and... Yeah, he was just a long-running sort of European champion. It was full value for money, how we want our fighters, and I employ anyone to listen in to go watch some of his fights, even the ones he lost, mm. um, you know, to uh, David Avanesian, uh, which started Avanesian's comeback a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, but he beat other British fighters, Tyrone Nurse and stuff like this. Jez Smith, he fought a lot of Brits down the years, yeah. uh, but recently last fight, he lost to James Metcalf. And it, it was a real odd one. He had a fight lined up for next month, I think it was, and his opponent pulled out for injury, but Leharaga had gone through a long training camp and with his opponent pulling out, he just said, well, that's the last time I can do that. Mm. So he wasn't injured. He didn't have, he just said, oh, you know what? I've just done this too many times, gone to the world one too many times and I'm bowing out. And, and he just had a fantastic career and gave everything he had to the sport. So I just want to say, stand up, Kerman. Um, fantastic career and well done, mate. Well done. Nice little trivia there, Joel. Such a nice man. Nicer than you tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Right. A new organisation called World Boxing has been formed to challenge the IBA's dominance of the amateur side of the sport and try and basically clear boxing's return as an Olympic sport. So from what I know about this... They are they've they basically form themselves because the IBA have no interest in trying to reform amateur boxing sufficiently well enough for it to stay in the Olympic program and various signatory nations to this. I know the UK is one of them. And there are various other yeah, there's Britain, US, Germany, Netherlands, Philippines, New Zealand. So it's mm. quite quite a big big um, some yep. big countries in the amateur game but there's a lot of big nations not yep. no I'm, I'm not sure how well it's going to work mate yes and also they're on you know they're on a limited budget as well from mm. what I read so you know they won't have the financial resources really at the minute to sort of compete I guess if you, you're going to look at it in that way but it, it's something that's going to put a lot of pressure on the IBA potentially and you know if the Olympic uh, organization decide that you know they, they they will i guess they could decide to only allow boxers competing for world boxing if they really wanted to go hardcore but it just oh there's so there's just too many ifs buts and maybes with this one well i think this does seem to be the route that it will take that if world boxing can build some sort of stature and credibility mm. that they will you know, join forces with the Olympic movement and, and they'll be the ones that will only be countries, you know, in, linked to this organisation that can compete. But that sort of goes against the Olympic spirit anyway. Yeah. So it doesn't really make sense like that. And mm. all that seems to me that it would create a major split in the amateur game where you will have any country that is essentially 
not turned against Russia, you know, in in the Ukraine war, they will, you know, stay with the IBA and then there'll be a break off and those countries won't won't fight each other and it'll be bad overall for the amateur game. It's pretty yeah. shame. It'll be like the PDC in darts against the BDO. Bang on. <laughs> <laughs> Only the BDO uh a terrible, a terrible, exactly. Whereas, <laughs> have no money. Uh, yeah, whereas the other side in this one would have all the Kazakhs and the Russians and you know the, the excellent, you know, Eastern Bloc countries and yeah. stuff. So yeah. yeah, I can't see how it works. Interesting. Right, let's move on to the previews because there's a massive fight this weekend: Javonta Davis against Ryan Garcia, Tank against King Rai. What a what a tantalising fight this uh, uh, is likely to be. Joel, give us your thoughts. This is a cracker, this one, and it should light the boxing world on fire. Who do you think is going to win, Joe? I think that Javonta Davis is going to win by knockout, and I think it's going to be very convincing. I don't know. I really, I don't have an idea of when it will happen. I'm guessing maybe later rounds, but I th- there's a few reasons why I think this is uh, likely to happen. Firstly, I just think Javonta Davis is really bloody good. Yep. He's got everything. He can box, he can fight, he can brawl. He's got ridiculous power. He's very intelligent. He's patient. He, and he's a killer, isn't he, John? He's a, he's a serious killer. There's that. The, the other reason why I think he, he will win this fight is because Ryan Garcia is, I don't think, experienced enough to be taking on a fight like this just yet. And he will also be subject to the uh, £10 rehydration clause. So what that basically means, I'm not sure exactly of the timings, is that there will be a weigh-in for the fight. Then for the next weigh-in, which I think is the next day, is it? Or the day before the fight itself, he can't have um, put on more than £10 in weight. So his rehydration process will be affected somewhat. And normally it's 10am on the day of the fight. Yeah, but thereafter he can put on as much uh, uh, weight as as he wants. This fight's being fought at a catch weight, which is 136, I think £1 above the lightweight division. I think this will favour Javonta, really. Um, I think it's his more natural weight. Ryan Garcia is, a, is certainly a bit bigger, and I think he's been fighting at a higher weight class than Tank. So I think all these com- this combination of factors, but I think we've got to be brutally honest about this here. This is gonna. I think this really, when you look at it clearly, is a really brilliant fighter in his prime taking on a really good young fighter who hasn't got to his prime yet, and I think he's going to find out what it big time boxing is really about I, I wouldn't be surprised actually if this was like a you know a really vicious punishing knockout or stoppage I could I could really see Davis pouring it on and he'll want to make a statement Ryan Garcia and Javonta Davis have a lot of flaws both from Javonta his his flaws are around himself though. Yes. He's capable of doing pretty much anything in the ring. Yeah. But he can't be bothered a lot of the time. And he, he's fallen in love with his power, which is dangerous for him against a busy fighter. Now Ryan Garcia is a really busy fighter mm. when he wants to. He pumps out that jab. But the problem with Garcia is that when he's busy, he is so open, mm. he pulls back in a straight line. Often, in fact, most of the time. Yeah. He doesn't create them angles when he's defending himself. And 
against a snappy counterpunch art like Javonta Davis, it's suicide, mate. Yeah. And it's the thing I think that Ryan Garcia, the more I've really uh, honed in on him lately, the more his flaws become evident. He's got huge advantages in this fight in size. He's massive compared to Davis, mm. you know, height-wise. Um, he looks like a fighter that will sort of go up in weights, probably end up somewhere around like middle, middleweight. Mm. Javonta Davis, this he'll this is his cap, you know, he's moved up from Feather, he's gone up as high as like Welter. Yeah. But that was really coming in well, right? He shouldn't have been up there. I think that was the Volley Romero fight. Although it's it's all of the advantages looking at it are with Garcia. When yeah. you look at Garcia ha, is fresh. He hasn't taken part. He hasn't been in hard fights. Javonta Davis now has racked up a few pretty difficult wins in his career, actually, when, mm. when you look at it. Um, that Isaac Cruz fight, the Marius Barrios fight, the Leo Santa Cruz fight. He took punishment in all of those fights. Mm. Garcia hasn't had that really as a pro. He's gone down once, mm. but he's not the fighter that Javonta Davis is. Yeah. So the advantages might all be there on paper. You look at him and go, we should win, but he's not going to. He yeah. will get knocked out, I'm pretty sure, in this fight, as you yeah. say. Javonta Davis, when he gets you hurt, and he will hurt Garcia at some point in this fight, he does not let you off the hook. Yeah. Right? He is one of the most vicious finishers, finishers I have seen. Mm. And he's definitely one of the most vicious around at the moment. In fact, I would only I'll bracket him right up there with Terence Crawford. Yeah. In uh, when they get you hurt, these guys, you're in trouble. Yeah. And I think Ryan Garcia is going to be in a bit of trouble, just as as you think at the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Do, do you think that the rehydration clause is going to pay a big pack, uh, play a big factor in this fight? No, I don't think it's, it's that bad, really. £10 for a fighter like Garcia. Garcia is fighting at his normal weight. I think £10 or 12 hours after. I, th- I think that's okay. Yeah. If, if they said £6 or something like that, that makes a big difference. But I think the... No, I, th- I think that should be fine. I yeah. mean, Garcia was weighing in early on in his career and sort of regularly at one thirty. Yeah. yeah, you know. So no, I think if he can come in at one four six, twelve hours or so, or a few hours before the fight, I, th- no, I think that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I certainly see Ryan Garcia starting well. Definitely. That that's the thing. I think he he will do because. Um, he starts fast generally as in he will he always starts if you look at Garcia when he, he comes out in the first round he just pumps that jab out it's almost like to get a feel into the fight he just knows he needs to get a feel of his opponent like that he's not one to just sit back and look at his opponent in that first round mm. he wants to feel his gloves on his opponent's face in that first round yeah. <laughs> and Garcia uh, sorry Davis is the opposite. You know, he goes in, he has a look, he's so comfortable in that ring, yeah. Davis. That's his home. Yeah. You know, very few fighters like that in the sport. Yeah. And yeah, he's part, as I've been talking about, Davis, you know, over the last sort of year or so, you know, I do worry about his lack of output. Yeah. He will pay for it at some point. And is Ryan Garcia the type that can, that can, Take advantage. I don't think he is, but one of, one of these days, Davis will come up short because of his laziness. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. This, I mean, it's going to be a great fight. It's one. It, it's a great fight because you just never know. And I think Ryan Garcia has certainly enough potential to pull off. You know what would be an upset? He's got the punch. Yeah, 
Right, Rakimov against Joe Cordina as well. This uh, long-awaited fight and the return of Joe Cordina, who's been out for some time owing to a broken hand. He was, of course, stripped of his IBF belt, which is now in the hands of Rakimov. And, uh, yeah, these two are getting it on this weekend. What's your prediction for this one? My prediction is a Cordina win... On points, probably, but possibly even a, a late stoppage. Yeah. Um, Cordina just has a much cleaner work than Rakimov. I, when the fight was first made, I thought that Rakimov could sort of outwork him and, and bully him around the ring. Mm. But I don't think so. Mm. I think seeing Rakimov against Barrett. Self for Barrett, yeah. Yeah, in, in that fight where he ended up really putting a beating on Barrett, but Barrett looked brilliant for a couple Rackham of rounds Rakimov was in big trouble in that fight yeah. he got knocked down heavily and it certainly wasn't the performance that made me think Joe Cordina's got a lot to worry about here <laughs> no but Cordina is a very measured fighter isn't he he's yeah. calming and things he wouldn't sort of, I don't think he's going to panic once Rakimov starts coming on mm. which will happen at some point Rakimov's a, a devilish fighter very mate. aggressive yeah, yeah he doesn't he's stop coming forward horrible fighter to fight but when you're really gifted and skilled as Cordina is they can handle these guys yeah probably relatively comfortably as well. Yeah. So I think Cordina's might look quite good in this one. Yeah, I, I agree with you, actually. I'm not going to veer off, off that at all. I think Cordina points. I think that, you know, I do think there is a question mark over how easily it will be for him to sort of settle back into this. He has been out for a while. He obviously has recovered from a serious hand injury and his hand is basically made of metal plate and, you know, rods and things like that could help him mate that I sounds mean, good yeah, exactly do you remember it's funny actually you say that do you, do you remember when in the wrestling when Lex Luger had that gimmick where he had the metal plate in his elbow and that was like <laughs> he would hit you with the elbow and it was just lights out anyway yeah who knows maybe it'll be like that <laughs> They won't be investigating the glove. They'll be investigating the bionic hand. Well, what was it? What was a excuse then? Yeah, Again, exactly. Blasted into Mars in their fight. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it'd be great to see Joe Cordina back. Might just hope that he doesn't have any hand issues and he mm. can really let that right hand go. Right, we're going to move on to the Kinahan of the week. And this week, this has been a, a you know a big story and a really disappointing story to hear. Amir Khan failed uh, failed a drugs test, which has only recently come to light. And this, I believe, was uh, prior to his fight with uh, Kel Brook. And yeah, he has been banned by the British Boxing Board of Control for two years. He's retired anyway, so it's not really a big issue for him per se, but it was disappointing to hear that he had failed a drugs test. It was a two-year ban because they accepted that the substance that was found in his system wasn't in, you know, intentionally taken. How um, can you possibly prove that a substance is intentionally taken? No. I don't know where this has suddenly come from in boxing. Mm. I don't understand, Joe, how you can have a policy of... Um, strict liability strict liability yeah. and then say but we don't think he did it on purpose that doesn't make any sense to me. yeah I mean it's a cop out isn't it let's yep. be honest it means you can on the face of it adopt this really strict liability position but actually you know 
okay, you're accountable for what's in your system. That's the strict liability. You're going to get banned. But actually, you can be on the lower end if you just yeah. try and give us some evidence that it's, well, you know, you're essentially taking the fighter's word for it and maybe listening to a few nutritionists or whatever who are going to be like, oh, he was just taking this and this and that. You know, listen, strict liability means you get banned and it probably has to be a long ban. Sorry. I mean, if they really want to make... Uh, an example and enforce the rules and actually have stop boxes from taking performance enhancing drugs. You've got to have four year minimum bans once they've got, you know, and that's it. You know, you're off the, the shelf, you can't fight and you can't fight anywhere in the world, you know, through respected commissions, it's game over. You've, you've got to take the punishment. It ain't going to happen though. It no. just, it's never going to happen. I 100% agree. 100% agree. Now, a listener of ours called Tree a few months ago after the Connor Ben fiasco at the start of this mm. sent a video in and it was a suggestion for Kinahan of the Week and it was Amir Khan. Yeah. It was an interview on IFL yeah. that he did and it was discussing the Connor Ben situation. And this is this is a quote from him lifted from that interview. Now I forgot about it at the time, and so we didn't do it as kind of in the week, but it was very worthy because what it was was it was Amir Khan expressing that he really hopes that Conor Ben just gets away with this. So he says in this interview, let's hope it's not true. And then he said, well, it is true because it's in his system. Let's hope that he gets away with this. Now, bear in mind, this is after Amir Khan knows that he's failed a drugs test yeah. himself. Yeah. And he's talking to Conor Ben and just going, well, it's true. We know it's true because it's in his system. Just like it was with Amir Khan. He knew it was true because it was in his system. Yeah. But let's hope he gets away with it. And Amir at the time was obviously fully expecting to get away with it. Yeah, no, it's shocking. Absolutely shocking. Yeah, so, you know, performance enhancing drugs is a massive issue in the sport at the minute and it's not going anywhere. And that's a good thing that a lot of, uh, there seem to be a lot of eyes on it because... Without those eyes and, you know, people like us whinging week in, week out, Matt it, Christie. <laughs> there, was, there was more failed tests last week. We haven't gone into it because we're just, it's, we're just banging on the drum. And yeah. so I brought it up and it wasn't big name fighters, but, you know, we have had more VADA tests failed last week. Shocking. Right, so Amir Khan, you are the kin of the week, that which brings shame on boxing. Right, magazine lottery. So I believe you pulled out an edition of Boxing Monthly. Is that right, Joel? My I memory did. is quite good, isn't it? It's fantastic there, John. <laughs> hey, box, what month was it? Do you remember? Boxing Monthly, oh, what I, month and year? Do you remember? Well, the year 2010. Been, so it, go on, have a guess at the month. Could have been anywhere from January to February to March to April to May to June. Did July. you say May? Yay! <laughs> said May. I, I did. I picked up Boxing Monthly. Monthly from May 2010, it had Amir Khan on the cover. Can Khan crack America? But we've spoken about Khan so much lately, I thought let's speak about something else. In here you had a preview for Kevin Mitchell against Michael Katsidis, which was a big event at the time, one of those big Box Nation cards. Kevin Mitchell was undefeated at the time going into this fight. Yep. And he had been a sort of superstar in waiting, mate. Mm. And this was his big coming out night at Upton Park, huge outdoor event. They sold a lot of tickets, go in there. And Michael can't see this on this night. He wasn't at the beginning of his career. He was pretty far in. In fact, he was near the end of his career. Yep. Um, he'd done his first sort of act 
which had been the Graham L fight. And from there, he'd had that war with Graham L. And after that, he'd had his big fights over in the US against Juan Diaz and uh, Joel Casamayor, uh, fighters of, of this ilk. And he, he came back and then he fought Kevin Mitchell and he was like a man reborn, mate. Yeah. He went in there and, and he put a beat in on Kevin Mitchell and he ended Kevin as this hope yeah. for sort of British boxing on the world scene yeah really but something that jumped out at me and just reminded me of why i wanted to speak about this tonight yeah was that i'd i'd laid a little wager at the time on kevin mitchell to win the fight oh yeah getting it wrong as usual <laughs> <laughs> well no i didn't actually joe oh, right. you pressed the wrong button what happened was the they did their ring walks ah and michael katsidis came out and he was wearing his gladiator mask. Yeah. And he came out with to a sort of clanging tune from Gladiator. Yeah. All it, and it was so atmospheric. And he looked out at the crowd and he, he got up on that ring apron and he looked across and he surveyed his manner, his territory that he was about to take over. Yeah. And he just looked so intimidating. Yeah. I thought, I've got to do something about this. And I was back in the days where you could like phone up the bookies and stuff. And I managed to put a bet on the other way. I just laid off the bet. Yeah. And um, I realised on that ring walk, on the way to the ring, there is absolutely no way Kevin Mitchell is winning this fight. He's going to get absolutely battered here. Yeah. Because they just look in different places mentally. Yeah. Kevin Mitchell... It was getting on top of him, you could see. And Michael Katsidis, he was growing as he got to the ring. He yeah. was feeding off of that atmosphere. Yeah. And that's what I saw that night and it brought to mind. I thought, well, where's some other great ring walks and, um, in fact, great times, great great stuff that actually maybe stuff like that had happened. So my first thing was great ring walks and, yeah. and I think we've got a few of those. We certainly But do. we've also got one where basically exactly the same thing happened. Yes, that we both settled on and we both liked, actually, when we've talked about the ring walks. And I, I, I see a lot of parallels. And this one was Mike Tyson. Yes. It may be his peak performance against the great Michael Spinks. And what was great about the uh, ring walk, Joel? Well, I know what was great about the ring walk, but explain to our listeners. So Mike came out to just sounds a grinding metal, pretty much. Yeah. And he came out and he just came up with his black shorts and a towel over. And he looked so intimidated. There was something just rippled through the crowd that night. Mm. It was this air of menace. That there was probably one of the most dangerous men that ever lived mm. walk into that ring. And again, he was feeding off the crowd as he got closer and closer to the ring. And you saw Michael Spinks, who wasn't a big heavyweight anyway, yeah. shrink and shrink. And all of a sudden he looked, like that light heavyweight he'd been a few years before. Yeah, absolutely. And you could see his knees shaking in the ring. And I thought that right there is one of the great, most atmospheric ring walks I've personally ever seen. What did you think about that one? Yeah, it was a fight I think that Michael Spinks lost as a result of the ring walk. Once he heard the music, the clanking metal, just intimidating. Not even a, a tune. It's just oh, like hell. Like your hell's your head's gonna get clanked like metal. Yeah. You know that was basically it. Uh, seeing Tyson, who at that point was at his absolute peak, and for mm. me, I've said, I think I've told you this before. I don't think at any heavyweight at, at their peak was better than Mike Tyson. If you just examine them at their absolute peak as a fighter, I don't think anyone could beat Mike Tyson genuinely so good at his peak oh my gosh what an athlete 
And I think Michael Spinks saw this and he just, in the ring, knew he was going to get absolutely destroyed. And he got destroyed he in did. one round. He'd never been stopped before. I'm not even sure he'd have been put down as a, as no. a pro. No, it only went about 90 seconds, didn't it? Absolutely. I mean, he got hit, hit with a body shot. Uh, very soon into the first round, up by the ropes, and I think he took a knee. wasn't re- didn't look really hurt. I think he was, you know, he was embarrassed certainly, but you know that was the first sign that oh my god. And then as soon as he got up, Tyson I think just unleashed a left and a right, and, and yeah. Spinks just fell backwards. He was done. He couldn't get up. He was t- no, he was finished. It was one of those ones. It's like you know when um you see on film someone gets killed and their eyes are still open. Mm. Kind of looked like that, didn't it? Yeah. It was a weird one. It was yeah. horrible, you know. It was but he's it, you remember people remember Michael Spinks for this night, and it's almost a bit unfair because his peak had been sort of a few years before, um, yeah. down at light heavyweight, but he had gone up and he'd done great things when he beat Larry Holmes at heavyweight, for God's sake. He ended yeah. Larry Holmes' winning run. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so he was he was a a serious deal. Yeah. Michael Spinks, and this is what he's remembered for. Yeah, interesting. I've got another one that I want to share with you, Joel, because you asked me what one, you know, one of my favourite ring, ring walks was. I wanted to do a British fighter, and I have to go for Tyson Fury, who a man who is a master of theatre. His ring entrance for the second Deontay Wilder fight is something that is so good and so legendary. When you look back on everything that happened that night, if you watch it now, it's actually spine tingling watching it. It's it's so good. I, I it could arguably be one of the best, if not the best. So, what was great about it was he comes out of the dressing room and you know he's playing gala, which he's done before. You know, my lover's got no, you know, very cheesy. So he's playing that, and that's uh, you know getting the crowd into it, and. One thing that was really noticeable about his ring walk from the dressing room was that quite soon into it, he was making these sort of like, almost like dog noises, like, ooh, 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 yeah. and all his entourage were doing it. And it was like, oh, my gosh, he's he looks said, well up for this. We are Sparta. That's it, we are Sparta. And he just looked so up for that fight. Mm. Then he gets onto his, yeah, I mean, he's like dressed as a Roman king. He gets onto this sort of throne and he's then sort of carried to the ring. And they start playing once the gala tune is finished crazy by patsy klein and it's just such a shift in the mood of Mm. the music and therefore the mood of the crowd because obviously at the time tyson fury's mental health issues were well documented he was he'd made this great comeback he'd been really unlucky in drawing against this all conquering powerful deontay wilder and he was going into this rematch and you know really he was crazy you know he yeah. he'd been he'd had a crazy period in his life people thought he was crazy for taking the wilder fight maybe crazy for having another fight and the well thought out part of this from tyson was that the thing that Deontay was so afraid of Tyson for was his craziness. And he yeah. was just reminding him while he's standing in that ring, I'm crazy, yeah. mate. Yeah, exactly. And because it's such a, it is a beautiful song and it was such a good choice and it was so clever and everyone in the crowd was really getting, because it's a sort yeah. of song, any, any, yeah, everyone can sing it. You don't really need to know the, the lyrics. It's no. just something you can sing along to. And I and and then what what made it so great? That wouldn't have been a memorable ring walk had he not put on the performance that he did afterwards, though. 
to then put on the performance where you absolutely bludgeon and destroy Deontay Wilder, one of the greatest heavyweight performances you'll see, that made the ring walk one of the best ring walks you'll ever see. It was just perfect. And then to do what he did, you had to go, he's crazy, but he's crazy bloody good. You Damn know. right. So what a ring wall. I love that. And um, I mean, there, there, are, there have been others. There's, I mean, there's certainly been a few Prince Naz ones, which might Yeah, Naz more. against Kevin Kelly at the Garden. That was one of the big ones where he made Kelly just wait in that ring and he was getting <laughs> furious and Naz was doing his crazy dancing. He had like a medley of tunes coming out. Yeah. And yeah. he was just dancing behind that, that screen, wasn't he? Yeah. And all yeah. Kelly could see was his shadow and he said, all you're going to see is my shadow, but it weren't. He saw his chin too, mate. Yeah, he did. But yeah, that was yeah. a great fight and a great entrance in yeah. that one. What about the other I was thinking about was like any Oliver McCall fight. Well, so Oliver McCall just sort it... of having a mental breakdown on the way to the ring. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's quite something to see. It's... He'll just cry his way to the ring. This big hard heavyweight, he'll just cry his way to the ring. He was a madman. Yeah, yeah, no, it's. Yeah. Uh... Did he actually do that for a few fights? Yeah, it wasn't just the Lewis fight. It was oh it was gosh. the second Lewis fight is the one that he's really No, but did known he cry for. on the ring walk? Yeah, he would cry on the ring walk. A lot of the time he cried on the ring walk. The Lewis fight he cried on the ring walk. A lot of the times he just cried when he stepped in the ring. Yeah. Uh, but it was very common. The difference in the second Lewis fight, and why it's really remembered, is he just continued to cry throughout the fight. Mm. But apparently he was on a come down. I mean, he was he was on, in, on withdrawal from heroin Jesus. in that fight. You know, it's a terrible why, life. How he was the hell that time. Did it, were they putting him in these fights? Don King, mate. Just... Don King. Devious Don King, crazy. But yeah, no, we all love a, a good ring walk and it can certainly, you know, add to the atmosphere and get you pumped up. So yeah, uh, good good shout, Joel. I, I think, you know, we might have to bring the ring walks one back uh, another time. Hey, Joe, here's a question for you, mate. Go for it. What would be your ring walk if you were to box off? It's an interesting shoes? one, actually, because I think, you know, it's, I can't really give you an answer. There are so many tunes that I think like, I, I, I know I like that I think would make fit you know how I'm feeling or my the story of my life at that particular moment I don't yeah. really know to be honest with you um it's so hard to say I mean I'd, I'd certainly like to go for something new that's not really been played a lot or much at all what mm. about you well I've always thought actually it'll be there's this one um that was in Lost of the Mohicans you know the film yeah Lost yeah. of the Mohicans so yeah. it's like a battle scene a track yeah. Played in that, and it's in the, uh, the, band, the band, not band, but Clanid were, were the sort of composers um, that, that did that one. I think it was called I Will Love You, I think, yeah. or something like that. But that is just, I mean, that would have saved that Cat Cetus entrance I was talking about before. Yeah. That would have fitted in perfect with that. Because I just think that that just gets you ready for battle and it's an intimidating song. Yeah, it's lovely, yeah. it's beautiful. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's that's where I'll go, mate. Yeah, that's a hard song Good. in a beautiful way. <laughs> Lovely, right? I'll actually I'll think about that for next week and then I'll give you my answer. Right, we are almost done, but I need the uh, magazine stash and I'll pick out my my magazine for next week. I've picked out an edition of Boxing News dated April twenty fourth, twenty fourteen. On the front cover is Bernard Hopkins. Time ringside in Washington. Bernard Hopkins unifies the titles at the age of 49. The light heavyweight legend takes aim at the young lions. The legend of boxing that is Bernard Hopkins. I shall find something here which might not be Bernard Hopkins, but what a fighter he was. I think I told you the other day, didn't I, Joel, that I watched his fight against Felix Trinidad and it was one of the greatest performances I've ever seen from a fighter. It was, like you said, 
absolutely punch perfect in a fight where, which he, where he wasn't the favourite, where many people expected him to get banged out and hurt as the yeah. old man. Old man at 36. The guy's fighting and winning titles 13 years later. It's mental. It's incredible. I tell you what, he had a good ring walk as well, didn't he, Jai? Yeah, that execution mark in the execution yeah, yeah, yeah. of those, that was an intimidating yeah. one. But just briefly on that Trinidad performance, oh my God, I mean, he absolutely <laughs> annihilated him. It, it was, was the perfect, perfect display of sort of boxer, puncher, pressure fighting, yeah. which what he did that night, it was on, on real stuff. Yeah, it was like, I don't know, it was like precision surgery. It was like every time we had to make a cut, it was just done beautifully. Yeah. It was like cut. Cut, cut, cut. Everything was done to perfection. And the knockout in the 12th round as well, brilliant. What a right hand. Absolutely sent Felix Trinidad into Queer Street. He, I think mean, he got up, but the ref, Steve Smoger, stopped the fight, said no. Nah. Um, do you know that fight was delayed for two weeks because of 9 11? Ah, that was so meant shortly to after just, 9/11. Yeah, It was oh, meant okay. to be happening just a few days. It was meant to be the weekend after 9 yeah. 11. So they oh. delayed it a couple of weeks to sort of happen in the build up. Um, Bernard Hopkins had been chased out of a stadium I know in, what he did. in um, where's, where's Puerto, he from? Rico. Puerto Rico for stamping on the Puerto Rican flag. Got chased out. What was you thinking? That's brilliant, though, isn't it? They are a different breed box. They but just they do are, mad but, stuff. But it's all tactical with Bernard, wasn't it? Because he got Trinidad wound up, and on the night he was a he was like he was just coiled, wasn't he? He was so tight, Trinidad, mm. on the night. He yeah. was so wound up. He wanted to kill him, mm. and and that won the fight maybe for Bernard. Well, made it easier for him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We are done. And on that note, I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed another episode of I Like Boxing with Joe and Joel. Please like, share and subscribe if you can. Joel, any final words? Love you all. And on that note, goodbye. It's interesting to note that Mike Tyson selected his pre-fight music, Just Noise. Every once in a while you hear the clanging of chains. I think that's what he's got in mind to do to uh, Mike Spinks' head, but we'll wait and see. Everything that Tyson does is intimidating. There he is. He comes out. He doesn't wear a coat in. He's worked up a full sweat. I want to tell you, the electricity in this crowd is awesome. I haven't felt like this since it was about 4 o'clock in the morning one morning. We're in a place called Kinshasa Zaire when Muhammad Ali came in against George Foreman for the heavyweight championship of the world. That was in 1974. There have been other great sporting events, but I want to tell you, I've got goose pimples on my arms watching this event, and a lot of people in here do. Mike Tyson surrounded by security, his handlers as he comes in. Of course, he left Kevin Rooney in his corner. Steve Lott, you know all the history, you've been reading about it for the past several weeks. The heavyweight champion of the world comes into the ring. This is why we're here.